Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. I'm Steve Wiss. I'm joined, as ever, by Jonathan for Dugba. Jonathan, wow, what a crazy uh, last 24, 36 hours in football, my friend. It uh, almost seems a bit irrelevant to be talking about Nordic matters at the moment, but how are you doing? Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody. Yeah, just about recovered from all the uh, the bombshells going off in, in European football uh, this sort of early part of the week. Um, thank you for joining us as always. It's going to be a very action-packed episode, this one. We've got a special guest, haven't we, Steve, uh, in the Norway, Norway region. So we are going to dip our toes back into Norway for anyone who's been missing our, our Elitisarian content. And we also are going to talk about round two in Osvenskan and update you on the Fantasy League, where I'm, I'm doing pretty well at the moment, by the way uh spoiler alert but yeah uh the only first place to start really i guess is um this announcement isn't it of the the, the european super league before, before i get into it i do want to just quick make a quick introduction um just regarding the patreon i want to give a very special warm welcome to Stephen, who has uh, backed us this week on patreon patreon.com slash nordic football podcast so before we get into the, uh, the the hefty discussions we're about to have steve just want to give a quick shout out to steve thank you so much for joining us we had our first bonus podcast didn't we this uh, past week and we've done pretty well we'll talk about that shortly but uh, yeah just firstly before we get started thank you to, to Stephen for uh, for supporting us yes thanks thanks very much and like jonathan said we've got an action-packed episode coming up we've got an exclusive interview with Starbeck assistant manager Eirik uh, Shona. That's in the second half of the episode. So really good. Me and uh, and Eirik uh, had a really good chat and uh, ahead of uh, the new uh, season in Nor- Norway, which is, uh, well, it's just a few weeks away now, thankfully. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we're gonna, we, there's only really one place we can start and it's not even Nordic related as such, but the Super League. I mean, this is crazy. I, I was stunned when this came out um, Sunday evening, late Sunday evening. And then as Monday has, has, has unfolded, um, you know, more has been revealed. It's the talk of the whole footballing world right now. And it's still quite raw in everyone's in everyone's minds and, and everything like that. Jonathan, your initial thoughts and reactions to the Super League? Yeah, where do you begin? I mean, I've been asked about this many times today, uh, and so it's, it's been, you know, it's been uh, really an unbelievable sort of twenty-four hours. I think in football, my summary of this, Steve, is I think this can be described as a heist on European football. I think this is a um, a, a coup. It's been a, this is like a stage coup on club football in Europe. Um, I think it's kind of the end end goal, end product of sort of um, fifteen years, maybe you could argue, of, of kind of lax uh, ownership models and and kind of. Uh, just allowing clubs to to be taken over um, left, right, and centre, and I think that's kind of the that's the end goal of it here, really. Um, you know, the, the decision to reform the the you know, create a new European Super League with twelve founding members, uh, I think four of which have never actually won the European Cup in their entire history. Um, so they've kind of run roughshod over a hundred years of history, I think, to be honest, and uh, and sort of taken their their ball and, and gone home. I, I really. You know, if I was just to try and summarise it quite shortly, um, my, my my sort of final take on it is I think greed greed has created laziness. And I think what we have here is basically a bunch of clubs who have become kind of almost intellectually lazy. Uh, and it's almost like, you know, like, um, and I think there is a wider political angle to this that we can maybe talk about, you know, this football is part of society, isn't it? And, and we can maybe talk about that in a second. But 
well, what I'm trying to get at here is what we have at this moment in time is a bunch of sort of fat cats, to be honest, who, who have got a little bit bored of having to compete. Really, they're, they're, they're relying on their legacy. They're saying, listen, we're the biggest clubs in the world. We're actually bored of competing in the league. We don't have enough money to be playing in these leagues. You know, why do we? Why are we competing with the likes of Leicester? Why are we competing with the likes of Atalanta? I think Andrea Agnelli, who uh, resigned spectacularly from the European Club Association, where he's like, I think he was the president, I think, or one of the chief executives. Um, uh, he made some comments uh, in a few months ago, I think it was, where he said that, why should At Atalanta be in, in the Champions League? Well, the irony is not lost on me, Steve, that Atalanta beat Juventus the night that the Super League was announced uh, to, to go above Juventus in Serie A. So what we have here, really, in my opinion, is a, um, a coup of clubs who cannot be bothered to really be innovative, be creative, be intelligent in their recruitment. And they've looked at teams like Leicester City, uh, teams like Atalanta, who are creative, who have been intelligent in their recruitment and who are doing really good things. And they've said, listen, we don't want you in these leagues. We don't want to compete with you for, for, for European competition. We want our own cartel. And that's pretty much what they've done. Um, I think two little things I'll just say to finalise it. I mean, I'm not entirely against reform. I'm not really against kind of progression of football. I think, you know, things need to be reviewed and we do need to appeal maybe to, to new fans and, and more fans maybe around the world and that kind of thing. And this is a kind of FIFAization, isn't it? The computer game of football. But the two parts of it that really stick in my craw and I can't really stomach are the lack of relegation. Uh, I just think it creates a closed shop. And I think we've, we've, we're moving towards almost an NBA system where, you know, teams could just compete in perpetuity there's no threat to them no relegation that's the part i can't really take and the other part of it is the lack of found the founding members i, th I think it's an insult to european football uh, to have these founding members i have no idea what spurs are doing in there for example with all due respect to spurs um, i have no idea what arsenal are doing there again with all due respect and this isn't like petty rivalry here it's just a fact you know you've got teams like ajax you've got teams who have won multiple champions leagues who, who aren't involved in this um, so why are teams who have never won it before involved? So, yeah, it's a really, I hope I've condensed my thoughts, but um, it's stunning news, isn't it, really? No, I think it's an absolute disgrace, to be honest with you, Jonathan. Um, you know, I think fundamentally it all comes down to profit. And where was it? I was seeing on Twitter today that um, a member of the board on one of these clubs basically said that's what it's all about. That's the sole priority we have is that for this business to make profit and anything secondary is just a bonus basically they've made these clubs just big businesses and that's it it feels like the football's almost been left left out i'm not saying these clubs don't want to win things because winning helps them profit but they would quite happily take serious profits and not winning things um now really the, the way things have been going in terms of that and you're right it's this closed shop thing which is a very distasteful indeed. They don't want to compete. In fact, club, clubs like Arsenal, Tottenham, even Chelsea in, in recent years have, have missed out on Champions League places and they don't want to miss out on, on, on dining at the top table. It's as simple as that. The, to, for these business models to work, they need certainty year in, year out. And they, they would much prefer it. There's a lot of American influence here, it feels, a, a bunch of these clubs they want it to work on like an nfl model where you're in it year in year out there's no danger of dropping out of things you know it makes it far easier to plan financially and everything like that um but it's it's, it's just i think it's so flawed you know it really is so flawed and i said greed has, has driven this forward and um as i say there was a, there was at times during monday I, I was quite down to be honest about football i was 
I was really quite depressed. Um, uh, it really kind of, I don't know, it didn't say it hit me hard, but it was just very sad to see. It was a sorrowful situation um, that uh, this is what it's become. It's really, uh, really not a good place for football to be, Jonathan. Yeah, let's just look at some of the figures here behind this. I mean, just as, just as a quick example, uh, and this is ultimately a money game, isn't it? Really, B- BT Sport paid, I think, nine hundred million pounds uh, in in twenty thirteen for the for the UEFA Champions League rights in, in the UK, and you know, there's there's multi millions in in revenue for the Champions League, but that's considered not enough for these clubs. And um, the comments that have come out today is that it's about kind of revolutionising the game and 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 that, that all that kind of stuff but the, the reports say that there'll be a guaranteed three billion dollars for each club that's involved as a founding member uh, and also i think it's a, to the tune of around 40 billion in total um but backed by jp morgan so really this is this is a kind of you know uh, this is a money grab isn't it really at the end of the day um you can question maybe whether maybe the champions league has undervalued these clubs and maybe there's this feeling that they deserve more money and i, I think there is you could argue potentially some merit to that um you'd have to maybe compare the broadcast figures uh, and the tv rights and the incomes and revenues from say the nfl compared to compared to say the champions league and i guess that's a discussion for maybe a different podcast and a different day um but i think you reflect the fact the feelings of many fans when you say you felt quite down um i think one thing that we can both agree on and and, and you know relating it to this podcast is that it's obviously um not an, something that currently affects this part of the world does it and, that, and i think i'll be honest I can certainly uh, empathise with your feelings there, especially as a supporter of one of the 12 involved. Um, I, f- I felt quite down about the team I support, to be honest, in, in recent months and years. Um, it never sat well with me, the, the Glazer ownership, to be honest, and, and I, they, I, they've always alienated fans. And, um, you know, I'll leave my feelings on that one to one side for a minute. But so I think I think what we can say is that um, this doesn't affect Scandinavia. And the one maybe thing that made me feel quite positive was that I, I felt, well, I've actually committed to to this league and, you know, I'm really enjoying um, Osvenskan at the moment. The first two weeks of the season, I've really felt revitalised. I, I kind of commented on Twitter that I was a, I've been a little bit going off the Premier League in recent weeks, partly because of VAR. And you know, watching games this weekend is almost like the, some of the games aren't even relevant anymore, are they? I mean, it doesn't matter if Arsenal draw with Fulham because they're going to be guaranteed to be in the Super League next year. So, the one thing I'd probably say to maybe try and perk you up or any fans who are a bit down, I'd say is um, this is a great place to be at the moment. I'm really, really enjoying Sweden. We've got Norway to come as well. We're Buda glimpsed. We've just won the title for the first time in their history. So, you know, there there is positivity and there is different. There's a different world out there outside this big twelve clubs, isn't there? So, uh, or the dirty dozen, as uh, they've been described by UEFA's president. Um, so, yeah, you know, we can try and look positively on it. And um, I'm really happy to be involved in Scandinavian football this moment. I have to say, you know, there's no VAR. I found the games really exciting. What one thing I'd just quickly say on that, Steve, there was a report recently released by uh, CIES. Um, who are kind of an observatory of, of European football, and they did a report on the most, um, you know, the most fluid game times around around the world uh, in terms of the leagues and how much how much ball, how much the ball is in play in, in some of these leagues. Um, they, they put out a report recently saying how fluid is European football, and I thought it would be quite interesting just to point out that Osvenskan um, is actually the fourth most uh, fluid league in terms of playing time, you know, the ball in play during a match um, in in the in European football. Um, so that is the, in in Osvenskan, the ball is in play sixty four point seven percent of the time, and so we have a really fluid game, don't we, in Scandinavia? Uh, Norway is not too far behind on uh, just below on sixty two sixty two point one percent. So that number with Osvenskan is the level with the Champions League. 
is exactly the same, 64.7%. So it tells you that we've got a, a, a league which is really fluid. It flows. It's not stop-start. The Premier League is actually well below that with 62%. Um, and I think the Championship is, is the lowest. I think the ball in play is, is only in play. Um, I think the ball's out of play in the Championship 24% of the time, uh, which is which is crazy really when you think about it. But what, what I'm trying to say here is these leagues, they appeal to me for a reason. I think you know, the, the, the matches I'm seeing so far this season, they're really fluid. You know, they're open. Um, offsides are fine. You know, there's not been any major sort of terrible decisions I've seen so far, maybe one or two, but, you know, VAR isn't sort of scourging the league and hopefully people are enjoying following these leagues and maybe we can attract some new people to these different leagues. Yeah, I must say I enjoyed watching uh, the two matches on Monday evening. It kind of took, took my mind off, um, you know, the this Super League thing for a, for a couple of hours. You know, uh, watching a bit of Elfsburg against Varberg. I mean, I, it's crazy situation, really. But uh, yeah, I do. I feel for the fans of the twelve because there's a lot of very good uh, uh, fans. I don't think any fans, any proper fans of, the, of those, those clubs, would want this to go ahead either. So uh, you know, you have my deepest sympathies, Jonathan. Although I know, you know, there's been aspects of Man, Man United that have uh, you found distasteful for a while. But yeah, I feel for the fans. But I think maybe there'll be quite a lot of unity now, and um, maybe maybe some good can come of it. Event out of this, I don't know, as uh, all sorts could happen now and and, and everything. But um, yeah, certainly Scandinavian in terms of Scandinavian football, nothing really changes, does it? You know, the leagues are just starting up, and uh, there's no VAR. It's uh, kind of football as it used to be. Yeah, we've had a question which uh, I think you're gonna you're gonna sort of uh, maybe touch on in a second. But I just want to, for anyone who's not too clear on the rules in Sweden, um, we're going to quickly briefly talk on the ownership model in Sweden and what makes it different. So I mean, Steve, I don't know if you want to if you had any questions about what what makes Scandinavia different, what makes Sweden different. Well, in terms of the the ownership of the ownership models around the world, um, you know, in terms of Sweden. It's similar to the German model that you were saying earlier to me. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so we're going to have a little sort of very brief explainer, and then we've got a question, haven't we, from a, a, which, a very interesting question, which we're going to talk about briefly as well before we recap on on week two in Osvenskan. So just quickly to run through the ownership model for those who may not understand how Swedish football is, is different uh, from, you know, for example, uh, the Premier League as an example. Um, Sweden very much follows the same German model, which is that 50 plus one uh, model. Uh, involves kind of a, a maximum of uh, 50%. So basically the regulation states that members should own or control 50% of the shares of the club plus one share. So what that effectively means is that supporters uh, and members will always have the majority share of the club that they're part of. And that means they have significant influence within their football club and they have the right to be part of those sort of decision-making processes now this is something that's been been in place for many many years there was a period of time i think in around 2013 where this was challenged uh, and it was met by a huge huge outcry in swedish football there were protests um you know the same kind of argument was given that they you know they want more investment in these clubs and there was sort of um pushes from authorities to try and maybe change that model to bring in greater investment to obviously they say to attract bigger names and that kind of thing but it was met with huge outcry in sweden uh, and eventually it was kind of sort of overturned and, and, and seen off. And um, it's also it's very similar to the German model. We've seen, obviously, today that teams like Bayern Munich and, and Borussia Dortmund are not part of this Super League as yet. Um, so it's a similar model to that where the members kind of have that big say in, in, their, in the running of the clubs, which 
personally, I, I can only really sort of uh, support, to be honest. I think it's I think it's a very positive thing. Um, I'm going to read just a quote that we had from someone who is involved with Malmo. Um, now, her name is Thelma Ernst, who's the chair, one of the chairpersons of MFF support. And she said, she's, this is going back a few years now and just explaining it. She said, the 50 plus one rule is important because it's your identity as a football supporter. You own your club. And uh, she says, as, as, a best, as a supporter of the best team in Sweden, uh, I would exchange any achievements of the club uh, in order to keep my membership. So, you know, and to keep the rights that come with being a member. Um, it's more important than all the gold medals and anything else. So that just gives you a bit of insight into how important it is for, for fans in Sweden to kind of retain that membership model and retain some sort of say in their club. They have a say on the members. They can vote out the presidents and that kind of thing. And they have a, 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 an influence on their clubs. So it means that owners can't come in, take the club over and do something similar to what's happened at, say, Manchester United or, or you know, Liverpool, for example. So um, that's a little bit of background on, on, on that Swedish model. And that's why we have that 50 plus one rule it means there's less investment of course and swedish clubs do sort of sometimes struggle with that that side of it but it also means it's maybe a fairer game you can argue in a more organic game um steve what's your thoughts on on that model do you, you is it something that you advocate i'll be honest it's not something i've ever really looked into but i have a long hard think today and i think that's that's the best way forward the german model which is people have laughed at that before haven't they about how it, it, it limits clubs over there what they can do sometimes but i think the more protection is needed and i i really think that that is something that i think maybe other nations could implement going forward because it, it does give you that security blanket of um you know, protection and, and and stuff and stuff going forward so i, I would certainly be in favor of, in favor of it myself um now there's a very very interesting question that we have been asked tonight um and it's from the bias Hussein, who we had a great interview with of course on the nordic football podcast before ex sunland ifk gothenburg legend and um this is really interesting he says which 12 teams would you pick for a nordic super league i hate the idea but still curious and this would be a good discussion maybe thank you very much indeed for the question tobias um i mean this is it got me thinking it certainly got you thinking didn't it if there was to be a nordic super league of a dozen teams how would we go about it yeah and it's always nice to have uh you know former guests uh tweeting us and asking us questions we, we put out a call for questions every week most weeks anyway and of course it's great to see yeah the ef core legend tobias hussein who's made hundreds and hundreds of appearances for the club and you know um, won titles and that kind of thing, uh, asking us and tweeting us a question. So thanks so much to Bias. Um, and for fans who haven't maybe um, listened to that podcast, if you go back to the Royal Archives uh, via iTunes or Spotify, however you get your pod. We did interview Tobias about a year ago on his career and his time in Sunderland and playing with Roy Keane and that kind of thing. So do go back and listen to that to that podcast. He is an EF Core legend. Uh, yes, this, this really got us thinking, didn't it, Steve? We have, we had a, we've had a sort of a pre-match discussion on this one, trying to pick our teams. So what we've done here is we're gonna we're gonna select our twelve teams. Uh, we're gonna do it exactly as the same as the Super League. Now, don't get me wrong; we're not in any way advocating Super League. To be honest, uh, we're both pretty put off by it. We've both find it find it pretty abhorrent. But I think it's an interesting maybe debate about who are the biggest clubs, maybe, and who would be founding members of a, of a sort of a potential Nordic Super League. So, um, Steve, I don't know if you want to take it away with uh, your first four picks in in Norway. Um, what we've gone for here is. 
Well, we're going for a model of 12 teams. Um, I think, Steve, you want to read out the first four, then I'll read out the uh, Swedish, and then you can read out Denmark. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it is, I don't know, this, just, this would just be like the, the first season of 12. I don't know whether it would be closed shop and that. I mean, I think you'd have to interchange teams in the future. But, I mean, the four from Norway that I picked... I've gone with um, I've gone with Buda Glimt. I think you've got to have the current champions in there, and then Rosenborg is obvious, such a, a big club. Um, and then I've also gone with Volorenga, and uh, you know a historically big giant as well. And the fourth club I've gone with is Molder, more based on, on current times, really. So if, you know, if I was to pick four from Norway, it would be those. But um, you know, I'm sure there's a couple of clubs uh, disappointed to be left out of that, but. Yeah, so um, so we've got Mulder, Rosenborg, Budaglimt, and Wallerenga. In Sweden, I've gone for, I'm sure Tobias will be very happy, happy, very happy to hear this. I've gone for EF Koyotaburg. Uh, four teams I've picked here. I've gone for EF Koyotaburg. I've gone for Malmo FF. I've gone for Oikor, AIK. And I've gone for EF Kornor Shopping. Now, that might sort of raise a few eyebrows. I'll just give a bit of rationale. EF Koyotaburg doesn't really need too much explaining. Two-time UEFA Cup winners, huge club in Swedish football, 18 titles. So naturally, you know, it's the second most titles of any team. So they have their place, one of the best supported clubs in, in, in Sweden uh, and also internationally as well. They're a massive club in Sweden, you know, from, from an international perspective. Uh, I've got Malmo FF, current champions, the dominant force over the last sort of 10, 15 years in, in Swedish football, without any doubt. 21 titles in total. They have to be involved. They're one of the biggest clubs as well and the most successful club in Sweden, uh, domestically. And then I've gone for Oi Core. Now, there, that's my pick in Stockholm. They are probably the biggest club from that point of view in terms of titles, although they're joint, joint with Eurogarden, but they've been runners-up 16 times. Uh, and I've gone for them just based on the fact that there's maybe, um, you know, because the runners-up just tips that, for, that in their favour, I think. And then I've gone for Noor Shopping, which the reason I've gone for that is m- m- many people might not know that they've actually won the third most titles in Swedish football history. Uh, often they get maybe ignored uh, for the Stockholm clubs uh, and obviously the Gothenburg clubs and that kind of thing. But uh, EFK Noor Shopping have won 13 league titles. The first title came in 1943 and the most recent title came in 2015. So uh, with 13 titles, I couldn't ignore them. Now I'm going to come on to your garden in a minute and just explain a few things. But uh, before I do that, Steve, do you want to... And we did have a little talk about Denmark. We can't ignore Denmark in the Nordic League. So, Steve, do you want to reveal our four? We've got four teams in Sweden, four teams in Norway. Do you want to reveal the four, or the three, sorry, in uh, in uh, in Denmark? Yeah, three from Denmark are FC Copenhagen. That's pretty damn obvious. A massive club up there. Brundby, who I don't think they've actually won a title since 2004, but you can't ignore Brundby. And then FC Micheland, who have become a bit of a recent force in, in the Danish Superliga. So, for me, those three clubs stood out from, from, from Denmark. I think you agreed there, Jonathan. Yeah, we agreed on these. So, um, just to recap, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how we're going to structure this league as, as, our, as we are the presidents of this sort of UEFA in this, in this parallel universe. Um, <laughs> so, finally, we've got 11 teams. Uh, we've got FC Copenhagen, Bronby, Micheland, Rosenborg, Buda Glimt, Molder, Olarenga, Yotteborg, Malmo, AIK, and Norshopping. 
And then those are the founding members. And uh, we're going to have an open system. There's no way we're having a closed shop. Not a chance on my watch. Uh, there will be promotion and relegation and that kind of thing. But uh, Steve, we've gone for a novel way of choosing our final uh, qualifier, haven't we? We're going for a playoff system for the final. Yeah, I think um, it would. This is a Nordic Super League, so we've got to include clubs from all of the the, na the major nations up there. So I feel like the champions of of um, Iceland and Finland deserve a chance to get in there, which in in the current case is Valur and HJK Helsinki. And um, in terms of the, the two other sides that d would deserve mention in the Superliga, um, Jorgarten obviously is one. And another club from Denmark, which stood out to me was Aalborg AB, who have won the title in the, in the, in the recent decade. So I think one from those four in the playoff system would be fair to to give the final place in, in season one of this Nordic Super League. Yeah, so you're going to get in because they're joint level on titles and because they miss out just for the fact that they've had slightly less runners-up places. Uh, obviously, Oiko and you're going to massive rivals, so that kind of, uh, I'm sure that's going to upset a few Jurgen fans having to qualify. But uh, Alborg are in it. They've won the title four times in, in Denmark. Uh, and also they've, they've done Danish Cup three times as well. They've got a proud history. So we've included them as a qualifier. And yes, of course, then value and HJK Helsinki would qualify. So it'll be a white, it'll be a two-legged playoff. Uh ties to be drawn, let's say, next week. Uh, and then you know, if it's your garden v value or Alborg versus, you know, um HJK Helsinki, they'll they'll play to qualify for the first ever Nordic football podcast uh, Nordic Super League. So there you go, those are our, our eleven teams plus playoffs. So uh Tweet us at Nordic Football. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you would be backing that, or if you would be sort of trashing it, if you think that your team deserves to be in, in it, tweet us and let us know why. And uh, in this parallel universe, we will sort of consider it and then, you know, let you know if we if we agree with you or not. So, uh, yes, that is where we're going with it, Steve. And now we're going to move on to um, the uh, week in Osvenskan. Yeah, week two in the Alsvenskan. Um It was uh, well, some some quite a few interesting results, as always. I will uh, just run through them now. We started off on Saturday's game that was Hammerby Miami two 0 victory for Hammerby uh, there, and then moving on to Sunday, Sirius one Halmstad nil, Ostersund five, Örebro nil, Hecken one Malmo two, Jorgarten one, Norrköping nil, Degger four nil Kalmar one and then Monday's matches was uh IFK Gothenburg two a court nil Varberg one Elsborg three so yeah there was I mean some standout results I actually had my on quite a few of these games um we started things off on Saturday Hammerby Melby uh 2-0 win for the for the host there and it, it was a good bounce back for them after losing in week one um did Hammerby impress you John and they were okay. They got the job done. Uh, they weren't incredible, but um, you know, maybe maybe certainly gave them a scare in the second half. But uh, they were okay. Yeah, they 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 did enough to to win. Like I say, they look they look quite sharp up front. I thought they would win the game. We we backed them on obviously our, our Patreon, didn't we, uh, to win? And uh, they they duly delivered goals from uh, Akin Kumiamu just on the stroke of half time. Uh, it's a very nice cross from Mahana Gies from the left, and uh, Amu sort of fired poked it home. 
uh, from inside the box, and that, that was to give them the lead just on half time. And then a sort of uh, late goal, 15 minutes to play from Gustav Ludvigsen, who he tipped to score any time. Uh, and assist from Astrid Salman. It was a decent run from him, and he sort of uh, passed it to his teammate and uh, and for the second goal. But there was a spell during that game where Malby had some chances. Uh, they hit the bar. They also had a, a shot cleared off the line. So um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as easy as how maybe might have thought. But to be honest, they were probably better in both boxes. They were more solid defensively. And um, things are sort of looking quite good for Hammerby at this moment in time. Uh, we're getting back on track with a win there. So uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of um, positivity in that match for, for Hammerby to, to sort of consider. They look quite quite a strong squad. They made some substitutions and they had people coming off the bench. You know, a lot of decent players off the bench, like of Dennis Woodgren. Uh, so they're looking, you know, fairly fairly decent at this moment in time. I would just say on Akin Kunmiyamu. Obviously, he's the talk of the town at the moment in in Hammerby. Um, he's been linked with big clubs this week, and there's already talk of kind of bids maybe about to come in. And the other sort of talking point from this game was the eight fans. Uh, don't think you can ignore that. It was uh, they created an atmosphere. At one point, they were singing, you know, to the tune of "Go West" and that kind of thing, um, singing Hammerby songs. And there were you know, the regulations in Sweden are quite sort of, you know, a bit, bit jumbled at the moment because although you can't have fat, you can only have eight fans maximum. You can also have, I think, the limit is about 300 fans in in your in the restaurants. So there was a lot of fans, I think about 150 fans or so, in in the executive boxes basically. So in total, it was probably about maybe close to 150 fans or so. But uh, officially, eight just who were allowed in the stands. And at the end of the game, there was lovely scenes where uh, the Hammerby players went to sort of salute the the eight fans in the crowd at the end of the match, and they were sort of clapping each other and that. And uh, it just felt really nice, you know. They made a good atmosphere, and I know it's only eight fans, but it does actually have some sort of impact, I think, you know, they, they do make a bit of noise. So uh, it was really nice to see fans back in the stands and, and the, the rapport between the two of them. And uh, they were cheering when uh, Ludwigsen scored to finish the match for them. Yeah, I thought they did enough, didn't they, Hammerby? They weren't brilliant. Mialby looked quite a limited side to me. Um, but uh, yeah, 2-0 win for Hammerby. They needed that, didn't they? Um, the big game on Sunday, Hecken against Malmo, really, um, two title challenges or potential title challenges but Hecken uh, have lost both of their first two matches now Malmo with a hundred percent they edged this one out it was the, really the first half the first sort of 20 minutes really that won them the, the match here but it's a big big boost for them to get another three points isn't it big boost they 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 will be the team to beat this season in my opinion uh they look just they just look solid and strong uh you know Hecken now second bottom so it's not been a good start for them. Two two games, two defeats. Uh, one goal scored, three conceded. I think uh, obviously it was a goal from uh, Anel Amihodzic, a, a nice header uh, to give them the lead. And then Soren Reeks continues his scoring run. So he could be one for your fantasy team potentially. He scored sort of two relatively sort of not jammy goals, but you know, first goal against Hammerby was attacking. And then this week as well, he's kind of on the end of it and and and, and puts his team 2-0 uh, up. Uh, Benny Traore got his first goal in Osvenskan, you know, to to reduce the deficit. But ultimately, um, you know, Malmo did enough to, to, to pull off a win, especially uh, away from home at a tough place to go where they traditionally don't have a huge track record there. So uh, it's a really, really big win, actually. I think, um, you know, Yondal Thomason came out after the game and has said no league can be decided after two games. But, um, you know, so it's a, it's put, they've put a stamp down there. People talked about Hammer being, sorry, people talked about Hecken maybe being entitled, uh, title contenders this season. Uh, and they've kind of just shoved uh, a win down their throats and said, you know, if you come at the King, you best not miss. We've had um, some questions from someone called uh, Luis 
Delameda, I hope I pronounced that correctly, he actually asked three questions. One of them is, what is going on with Hecken? They've had two tough opponents, but they should be playing better than this. And then he also asked something about Degafor and uh, Ossesund as well. Come back to that in a minute. I mean, Hecken, I mean, we did talk about them in depth in the last episode. But what's actually going on with them? I I watched some of this game and I didn't think they were that bad at all. I think they were they had certainly had a very good period from half time until like seventy minutes. But it feels like they're um, they do they just make errors sometimes. They're a bit naive to me, Heck, and the, the, the two goals were just I mean, they're well converted by Malmo, but they, they seem like a naive side to me, Heck, and, and you know, it's not a good start for them, but are you concerned? I mean, it's only two games, but are you concerned? I'm not concerned in general because they, they do tend to be a little bit streaky in that way. They can win games, and they can lose games. Uh, I mentioned in the pre-season podcast I wanted to see some pressure on them, and so far, they've shown that they'll probably fold under that pressure. Nothing's changed in that sense. And, that, you know, I like Hacken. I've got a lot of respect for them. But, uh, you know, they, they've kind of shown potentially why they, they won't win the league, you know, already, to be honest. Um, so I know they're missing some players. Obviously, Leo Bengtsson has to come back and that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a disappointing start for them. It probably doesn't reflect how they've performed over the two matches to have zero points and especially playing the champions. But, um, you know, Andreas Alm has been quite critical and he said, We've not been up to the level at any time this season so far at the pace uh, that the teams like Malmo have. Um, they set a good speed from the beginning, beginning where we were not uh, similar in any match, not near it and not in the cup. So he's been a little bit critical and he said, we have zero points and we have absolutely nothing in the world to blame. So he's really put it on on, on, his, on his players, to be honest. Um, you know, and they've got the Swedish Cup final coming next month, but... Uh, and, and they've obviously bought a lot of good players, but I did mention in, in preseason podcast they're going to need time to gel. They're not. They're not. You know, a lot of players here are quite new to Osvenska, um, or if not, they're just coming back. Like Tobias Heinz, who's going to be key for them. Um, Benny Traoré is his first ever experience in this league, and he's already a, a starter. Um, you know, Jeremy F. I would, would have thought he'd maybe do a little bit better, but uh, you know, he's just come back. So, and then I mentioned obviously defensively. I, I, I do sort of still have worries about them from a defensive point of view. Bengtsson's obviously been injured. It's just coming back. So these little factors kind of do do weigh in and, and ultimately play a role. But I wouldn't be too worried about them. But I think it's already not a great sign for their title challenge, if, if we can call it that. But, uh, you know, maybe I, I didn't predict them in the league, but a lot of people did. So may, maybe those people kind of have seen enough evidence now to maybe suggest that it's going to be a little bit harder than that. They need to find consistency. The, 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 I said it again in preseason, they're, they're quite a nice team to play. You know, they're not really... a, a they're not the sort of team where you're, you're worried about playing them. You know, they, they they don't really have that kind of feeling about them. They play nice football, but they're, you know, maybe a bit like Arsenal in that sense at times. They play nice football on their day, but they're not they're not that sort of Chelsea type mentality where they can go away and win games like this. So that's the next step for them. And obviously, Alan has been quite critical and put it on this player. Yeah, interesting. I I from what I've seen of them, I I'd agree there. Um, I didn't watch the first match against Halmstad. But I've seen Harmstad play this weekend and they're hard side to break down, grafting outfit, a bit more, you know, nastiness about them. And I think they've been beaten by sort of a side like that. And then obviously Malmo because quality and class and experience and ruthlessness. So you, you can't be nice all the time and win, can you? You've got to have a bit of, a bit more about you, haven't it? So, yeah, uh, Degafor, he, uh, Louis asked about Degafor. I can talk about them in a minute. But... Uh, they, they lost to Kalmar, Kalmar 1-0 victory. Um, that's a good start for, for Kalmar, isn't it? They haven't conceded a goal yet. 
very good start. I like I like where they're going. To be honest, I, I like the you know I mentioned in, I, a lot of people tip them for relegation and that kind of thing. You know, we'll see. It's early days, but there's good signs for Henry Reesdrum at this moment in time. They you know that 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 sort of system that he's trying to put in place. They they've had another week to work on it yeah, on the training ground. Uh, you know, they're looking okay. Okay, they're not scoring a huge amount of goals. Only one goal, but they've conceded zero. So um, you know, they they they're, they're much more solid than they were last season at, at the back. Uh, it was a penalty, obviously, Berg uh, putting away the penalty. But uh, I did think watching the early parts of that match that they were going to sort of handle Degafors. Uh, I think Degafors are, like I say, in, in preseason one of the weakest teams in this league, and I think they will struggle. Uh, so, um, you know, Kalmarsh showed early signs, but they still got injuries. Nils Falling didn't play, uh, we didn't start, for example. And, and uh, uh, Reesstrom changed the system a little bit here. He kind of went to uh, four at the back. He dropped um, the young 17-year-old, for example. Um, and, and change the game game set up a little bit. So um, yeah, no, it's po- really positive signs for 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 Kalmar at the moment. I think it's probably potentially quite an exciting time to be a Kalmar fan, and I think they can look positively at uh, how they how they're going. And uh, like I say, Reedstrom created this game model in Sirius, and and uh, it's it's been going quite well uh, at Sirius, and and he's taken that now to Kalmar, and I think he will sort of look to continue that and that blueprint of playing nice, fluid football. So. They're a work in progress, but it's a good progress so far to begin. Yeah, and quickly on Dega 4, I don't think they're playing the right formation for this league at the moment. They haven't got the players for it. They're in a mess sort of tactically at this level. It's all right if you've got top players who can fit into this 3-4-3 system. I, I worry to get about them against A-Core, and I think Kalmar dealt with them fairly comfortably, really, uh, with this system. Uh, just quickly wanted to mention Yoga and Norsha being 1-0 diff was a fantastic game to watch really end-to-end football both sides look quite good in that game to me it was a really interesting clash um serious Ham- serious Hamstad really deserved to end nil nil but serious nicked it late on um now the, the final qu- question for this section it's about ostersund um your thoughts on their um their start and, and obviously the five in the win against urubro so pretty sensational yeah disaster for for urubro um, zero goals scored this season so far and five conceded uh, and to, to the team who's been widely tipped to be relegated um, they've been absolutely battered to be honest with you uh, really really good some really nice goals actually Blair Turgut with a hat-trick uh, so anyone who listens to my tend to watch you know and maybe put them in your fantasy team you were you were laughing all the way to the uh, points bank on this one um, because he's come up trumps I did say last week if you listen to the to the review of week one I did say he's it's going to be Blair or bust. You know, if he gets the goals, they they will stay up. If he doesn't, I think they'll go down. And and he showed it. He showed it in this game that he's got an eye for goal. You know, nat- naturally, I think he's more of a winger in the past, but he's, he's sort of playing up front now. Uh, and some of his goals were, were really quality. His, his goal for the hat trick was outstanding. Um, and he, you know, and he took his uh, he took his first goal really well as well. So um, there's a lot to be positive about with with Turga at this moment in time. I think Mostasins are slightly underrated. I think they um I think they've got a little bit of potential here. They've got a little bit of a siege mentality to build. They've done quite well since Ian Birchall's left in general. Uh, I know they fell apart towards the end of last season, but they, they, they stayed up, which people didn't expect. Uh, and you know now they're scoring goals, so it's going to be really encouraging for them. They've got two clean sheets now. Uh, Noah Sonko Sundberg, of course, scored, and Awile as well got a goal uh, for the fifth goal. So, yeah, there's some really positive signs. Um, Ostersund's uh, Mark, Malcolm Stolt said after the game, this is the absolute best match since I came here. You know, they didn't create much, to, but the football we played was fun. 
And uh, I'll be honest, you know, the, some of the goals, like the breakaway for some of these goals was really worrying because I, I don't know where Orebro were defensively. I mean, they were all at sea, to be honest. And uh, it's a bit of a worrying start for Axel Kjaer because you, you don't want to be getting battered by Ottersons. You know, you, you'd, think that, you'd think that there'd be bigger games to come. So, you know, they're going to have to sort of sort their act out if they're going to be picking up points. They've got a game against Kalmar away this weekend. So, uh, yeah, they're going to need um, to start picking up some, some, some clean sheets and some points. And um, Ostersons go to Malmo this weekend. So, yeah, a bit of a tough game for them. Yeah, and on Monday, uh, Elfsborg beat Varberg uh, 3-1 and IFK Gothenburg with a 2-0 win against AIK, which I'll be honest, that one surprised me. I thought uh, AIK would go there and get at least a draw, but I think um, IFK played very well and um, it marked the... Uh, Marek Hamsik came off the bench, his first appearance for IFK, uh, which was a very, very good victory for them. We, uh, let's move on to fantasy. And um, I'm going to have to let you have your moment in the sun here because you're up to the dizzy heights of joint sixth in our league, Jonathan. This is, I think, the highest you've ever been since we've done our Svenskan fantasy, but 71 points on the board for you this week. Fair play. Uh, you must be happy with your fantasy performance so far. Yeah, well, I've seen they've adjusted it, so I'm now down to down to, down to to seventh, I think. Um, but I think I've got Hamzik to come off at my bench because he... he, 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 he Wattara Mohamed missed the game for um for Hammerby, which was a shame otherwise i'd have had a clean sheet as well so yeah i'm, I'm pretty happy with uh, that so far i think blair turd that really carried me this week um grabbing that hat trick and uh anyone who, who listened like i say to the tend to watch we, we had benny Triore as well so looking good so far but um i can't take all the credit uh top of the league is jordan lever so he has to take the glory here at the moment uh, we've got quite a nice league at this moment in time so if you haven't joined so far then uh, don't forget to to get yourself in there fancy.osvenskan.se um so yeah you can um you can get involved and the, the code is hq8gu7 but yes i'm i'm happy to be in top, the top 10 after a few weeks and i can't see where you are steve so uh, i don't i tend not to look too far down the league <laughs> well i've made i've actually scored 70 points this week myself which is one which is a good i'm very pleased with myself but I, you're right, I don't think they've fully updated these yet. I don't know why they can't get it done by the end of Monday night. But it doesn't seem like they do the, the, the final adjustments till some point on Tuesday. They're very slow compared to um, Elite Serian Fantasy. So I'm, I'm not impressed with that aspect of it. But Did, uh, did you change Yermia? I kept him, in, I kept him in, in the team because... I feel like he must fire at some point soon. I'm not. I didn't. I didn't even necessarily expect him to score, but I'm thinking sort of long term. The next few games, I think they've got serious next. He, if he's not filling his boots against teams like them, then I'm gonna. I'm gonna be asking question marks. But I've got Blair, Blair Turgut in there. Shame I didn't have him captain, but he certainly served me well. Only four percent own him. Seven percent now, actually. I looked yesterday; it was only four percent, but that's. Ownership has increased now on Blair Turgut. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied at the minute. I'm 47th in running in, in our league. So, um, I mean, I don't, who knows? I probably won't end up there after the adjustments are made, but uh, I'll take it. That 70 points is a good return, and I think you're level with a friend of the pod, Sam Hart. So, you two are teasing the pod at the moment in time. But, yeah, join the league if you haven't joined it yet, and let us know how you're getting on, who's played well for you and that kind of thing. Tweet us at NordicFootPod. Um, but I think that pretty much wraps it up for part one. Let us know what you think of our proposed Super League. Let us know uh, what you're thinking about your, your fantasy team. And, um, you know, we'll be recapping, obviously, week three, which comes up this weekend. 
Um, I just want to give a quick shout out on Patreon as well, just to let people know. We did do a bonus episode this week, and uh, we did pick some some games uh, for people to look out for. I think we ended up with a 50% um, win record, didn't we, Steve? We had Ludwig to score any time against, uh, for Hammerby against uh, against uh, Mialby, which came in. Uh, we had Ossesson's Ullibur Overs, which didn't come in. We had Eurogarden to beat Noor Shopping, and then we had one other, I think it was. So, um, AIK, yeah, of course, I think we, 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 we picked... I think you picked AK for that one. Okay, I picked AK there, drawn over. Yeah, not a bad, not a bad start to our predictions, was it? So we're, we're going to have another bonus episode for our Patreon. So if you do want Carnival Spence Gan tips uh, for this coming week, then don't forget to hit us up on Patreon, patreon.com slash Nordic Football Podcast. But I think that is pretty much it for part one. What's coming up in part two, Steve? We've got a big interview, haven't we? Yeah, coming up in part two, we've got an exclusive interview with Starbeck assistant manager, Eric Schoner. And uh, it's a really a good interview, 40, 40, 45 minutes long. So uh, you can really get your teeth stuck into this one and uh, looking forward to uh, to releasing it out there. So, yeah, that's it for uh, for this section of the podcast. Join us after the break and it will be the Eric Schoner interview. And on this edition of the Nordic Football Podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Eirik Schöner, ex-Grorud manager and now assistant manager at Starbeck. Thanks very much for coming on, Eirik. I hope you're well. I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. And, you know, you're a really intriguing case because um, you're such a, a young manager uh, at Grorud there at the age of uh, 27, I do believe. And... Uh, I just wonder, if, first of all, if you could just sort of tell us the journey that got you in charge of that club at such a young age and what your playing career was like before then. Yeah, that's quite a long journey. Uh, so to, to start my playing career, I was uh, I was moving abroad at the age of 16. And um, I was signed off the, the Scottish team, Falkirk. Uh, so I moved over. Uh, and I played full-time academy football at, at, at Falkirk um, and returned back two years later to to join the second division team in Norway called uh, Vingart. It's, it's placed down south in in Kristiansand. Um, that gave me the opportunity to, to finish school, obviously because there was no school in, in Scotland when I played over there. Uh, so I played three seasons for Vimbiart in second division uh, before I actually retired at the age of 20 and moved to Oslo to, to study. Uh, most of all, uh, I moved to Oslo to, to be with my friends, uh, to a change of an environment. Um, but I started studying at the Norwegian School of Sports Science uh, because of my interest of, of sport. Um, and then after one year break from football, uh, I was told at the school that it was a possibility to take a bachelor degree in, in coaching and sports psychology. Uh, and we had a few lectures at the school, which was really, really motivating for me. Uh, so that year at the age of 21, 
I decided to to go all in on becoming a coach. Um, that's what I really, really wanted to mm. do. So you knew you um, knew already, sort of at such a young age. There, that's what you wanted to do straight away. Yeah. Yeah, at 21, I was sure. Uh, obviously, growing up, all I wanted to do was to become a footballer. Uh, and I think I all the time uh, had a coach in me. When I was playing, I was talking a lot. I was very curious about tactics. I was always discussing with the coaches. Uh, I was playing championship manager on, on the computer. Uh, so I always had a coach in me growing up. And I think I also uh, was saying that after I finish being a footballer, I will be a coach, but I never planned on becoming a coach at, at that young age. But at, at the age of 21, uh, studying at the, the Norwegian School of Sports Science, uh, I was highly motivated and, and I decided to go all in on, yeah. on becoming a coach. Yeah, funny enough, I actually, I'm football manager, I actually managed Vin Biat. Did you? I think it was like football manager 2016 or 2017 or something like that. So I'm actually a little bit familiar with the club, funnily enough. Um, but uh, what, what actually got you to Grorud then? And before you were manager, did you have some other roles there? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, one of the teachers at uh, at the school was uh, a head coach at Grorud. Uh, so after taking the, the bachelor degree, uh, they needed an academy director at Grorud. Uh, so I then... Uh, said yes to, to, to sign for Grover, becoming an academy director. Obviously, just like uh, build and build whatever you, you want kind of job uh, because there was very little structure. There was uh, no educated coaches in the club uh, and it was in a really, really poor area of, of Oslo. Uh, so for me, it was this really interesting and challenging job. Uh, and the same time as was, and I was being an academy director, I was always also coaching the reserve team, uh, being a, um, a playing coach for the reserves, playing in third division. Uh, and that was in 2014 at the age of 23. Uh, and I was also the assistant coach of of uh, the manager at the first team so i had a lot of things to do uh yeah for the first years in, in the club so uh, step by step uh, trying to to build a club together with uh, the, the head coach uh bringing in new coaches from the the same school same education uh and then growing uh, a bit more for every, every year uh, bringing the structure and methodology into the club uh, more and more and better coaches uh, and then after four years at the club uh, we had we had good good teams in the second division in Norway we always tried to to promote and we were top four uh, for a few years and then in 2017 we really give give it an effort to to promote uh, bringing in some good players, having a good team, uh, but didn't succeed. And I think after that, uh, we had to cut the budget. Uh, Rolf declined uh, a new contract and moved back home to, to 
where he was from. And we had a lot of players uh, leaving the club, obviously because we had very, very few on a professional contract. Uh, and almost none had a contract at all finishing that season and went all in to promote and we didn't succeed. So that gave us a chance to build something new, a new start, yeah. a new turn for the club. Uh, and that was also when the, the club hired me to, to become the, the first team coach as well. So it was a, a good opportunity too for me. And I, was, I, I, was, I wasn't sure about taking the job because it was difficult and, and challenging. And I was only 27 at the time. Have uh, had a few offers elsewhere, but uh, I'm really, really glad that I took the chance and and was a, a part of what we built over the the next uh, three years. So to actually become a manager in the third division of Norwegian football, what level of coaching badges and qualifications do you actually need? In in third division, I don't think you need anything at all. Uh, but but me taking a bachelor degree at uh, at the school of sports science, I I was giving a a UEFA B license, uh, obviously because we're taking a a coaching degree. Uh, so at 2014, when I was finished with a degree, I, I had a UEFA B license, and that's what I had when I was coaching in the third division. Uh, and I think in the second division, now you need an UEFA A license. Uh, right. And I think it's only a few years ago they, that happened. But I think, it's, I think you have, have to have a UEFA A license at the moment. And, and you, done, you took over, obviously, and you've done really well at Grurud. You, you got a promotion from the third division up to the Obos Ligaen. And uh, I had a look at the league table for that season. You finished one point above Asane, who um, are quite a big uh, club, really, compared to Grurra, aren't they, I think. So that, obviously, you did very well. And then you kept them in the Obos Ligaen last season by one point under very challenging circumstances, I'm yes. sure. So just tell us a bit about the um, last season, actually. How, how difficult was it? You know, with the COVID and things like that, and and obviously on getting promoted. Yeah, it was obviously it was it was difficult. Uh, we we promoted from the second division with one of the youngest team in in Norwegian football at that time. Uh, obviously, because we, uh, as I said, we we had a chance to to start over at 2017 when I took over, and and we uh, and the club decided to have. Uh, a young profile to to build the academy to bring up young players to uh, and to recruit young players and 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 sell them and make a business out of that that was the new identity and vision for the club uh, and we did that and we created a a strong culture in the team uh, with uh, some older players uh, of course and and a lot of young talents and we promoted after we promoted in, in 2019, uh, we only signed young players going into the first season of, of Ubusliga. It's, it's partly because, it's obviously because we, we're always looking for young players in, in Gruber, uh, but also because we had to, because we didn't have the budget to, to sign 
players with experience uh, at that level. Uh, so we had basically none uh, experience in, in the team, but players that have been in the club for years, uh, the same playing style for years, and a really, really strong group of players hungry to to win games. Uh, and when COVID came to Norway, uh, it was the same for everyone. We, we were not allowed to train for a few weeks. Uh, I think it was for maybe two months. There was no no full contact training in Norway. Uh, but uh, in the last five or six weeks, I think, only the, the clubs in the league uh, with a full-time players were allowed to train. But clubs with part-time players were not allowed to train. So coming into the, to the league, uh, we had only three weeks with, with uh, full contact training, uh, while most of the leagues had been training for six weeks. So that didn't make it any easier uh, in the start. No, not at all. But you, but I you're think, actually, yeah. Yeah, but I, but I also think that uh, in the period with uh, no training at all for two months, uh, we had an advantage with being up for the first time. We had a lot of energy. Uh, all the players were hungry and, and they were training well, even though we, we couldn't have normal training uh, uh, together. I think all, all the players were motivated, and I don't think that's as easy when you are experienced and have been playing in the league for years, and then suddenly you're not allowed to train. So that, I think, was an advantage for us going into the league. Yeah, and you only lost four of your first 15 games, yeah. uh, and two of those were right at the start against Lillestrom and Ranheim, who had just got relegated from the Elite Serie mm-hmm. So, uh, it's, I mean, it's a brutal league, I think the Obos League and I think it's a really challenging league even good teams if they have one bad year they can go down you know it's it's so hard isn't it and but yeah you know you had a bit of a bad run in the second half of the season but you picked up the points late on there but I mean I think from what I was reading uh, most pundits most people predicted you to get relegated so it was a really great achievement for you to, to survive there in, in, in with Grurud. And I just want to talk to you about a couple of players that stand out actually from last season. One of them we find very interesting here on the Nordic Football Podcast because he's just moved to your garden in, in Sweden there. Leo Kornich, is it? Mm-hmm. Kornich. I always get the pronunciation wrong there. Um, so he uh, was obviously a big part of the team last year and also... Uh, Oscar Argo scored 15 goals, one of the highest scoring players in the Obos last year. How far do you think those two players can go in the game? Oh, uh, they can go very far. Obviously, we had we had some good signings coming into to Obosliga because when we promoted, with we we thought that this is a really good chance for us to to sign some young talents because if you're not playing uh, every week for the first team in Elite Serien it must be better to play uh, every week in Obersliga instead of being on the bench in Elite Serien. And that was the, the thought that we, we talked about to all the agents. I had meetings with agents almost every day for the first few weeks. And, and we were always looking at the, at the young national teams, looking for talents. Uh, and, and then I think we're a bit lucky, but also... Uh, some good recruitment strategy and some bad work at the top clubs 
because we managed to sign Leo, Leo Koenig on, on uh, Bosman and being a talent at at that rate, it shouldn't be possible for Go to, to sign Leon Koenig. That's that's my thought, because he had playing, be playing for a very good uh, youth national team uh, in the European Championship, and and uh, in my eyes, it was highly rated. And and he being a Bosman player, we managed to sign him, which was very important for us. Uh, we managed to sign Oscar Aga on a good deal from from Starbeck. Uh and Christos Safias as well. Obviously, is uh, a very good talent as well. He was on an amateur contract with the uh, Volinga. So Leo Kornick and, and, and Oscar Aga, he scored 15 goals So uh, at the age of 19. And I did a research on it. It was, I think it was the fifth top scorer of all the under-19 players in the world that season. Really? And that is a fantastic achievement. Uh, scoring 15 goals in in first season at age 19 is is really good and and he's been underestimating for years because he's he's not very strong he's not very tall and he's not very fast but he's very very clever and and you have to look for the right things you have to know him as a player to know that he is really really clever in his movement he's he's blocking out opponents to help his teammates his good passing, his movement in the box, his finishing. He can score goals with his uh, head and both feet. Uh, so I think he's going to be become a, a, a great striker. Uh, and he has a bright future ahead of him. And Leo Konik as well. Uh, we signed him, first of all, because his ability to learn. That's, that's, uh, that's how we scouted him. His ability to mm. to improve uh, game by game and session by session. He's uh, eager to to watch videos and to ask questions, and he's so unafraid in his in his personality and his way of playing, and he's quick as well. Uh, so we knew that offensively, going in behind uh, crosses. When we won, uh, we knew it's going to be good, and we were a bit unsure about him defending the box, defending a cross, defending a one we won. But he uh, he really stood up, uh, struggling a bit in the first friendlies, I think. But he really stood up, and his development was unbelievable in the season. So uh, I was a bit surprised that that the Norwegian clubs. I know there was a few four or five Norwegian top clubs wanting him, but not not high enough. Uh, so for me, it's a really good signing for Uruguayan, uh, and I should wish for Norwegian football that some top clubs in Norway could sign him and then sell him on to keep the money in Norwegian football. But I think for for Leo Kornick and for for Uruguayan, it's uh, it's a good signing. Yeah, they, they, they both sound like very good prospects there. And uh, one thing I noticed about the actual the, the age, you did mention it was a very, very young squad that got you promoted, but also a very young squad that played in Obostle again. Actually, only one player in the whole squad who played any minutes is actually older than you. I mean, it was that kind of a deliberate thing because yeah. just say you were in charge of a dressing room which had a load of 
not a load, but a few sort of 33 to 35-year-old veterans. Do you think it would have been a bit harder for you to assert maybe authority on the dressing room? I don't think so. Maybe I'm a bit naive, but I don't think so. Because uh, we had, we've had a few older players than me in Grover, uh, both uh, Faisal, who was uh, injured in season, Preben, and, and uh, a few more players. And that hasn't been a problem for me. And, and, and I don't think it, it would be either. Uh, because I think when you are very sure on, and how you want to play and how you want to train. Uh, and, and I think, I think also me giving the older players the responsibility to, to making them, creating them into being leaders. I think that was never a problem at, at Grover and I don't think it would be, uh, but obviously I'm uh, one of my, I'm, I'm good with, developing young players and uh and yeah maybe maybe that is an advantage or easier for me being a young coach in, in goal but but obviously and honestly i don't think that would have been a problem i could yeah. have i could have trained a a team with uh only old players as well yeah yeah so you have now left Grorud and you uh moved to starbeck and uh I mean, officially, it's listed as um, assistant manager role at Starbeck. I wonder if you could just tell us exactly what your your role and duty is uh, at, at your new club now. Yeah, that's that's correct. I'm assistant manager in in Starbeck. Uh, Starbeck, they expanded the, their first team in uh, coaching staff this season with with me and a, a physical coach as well and a mental coach. So uh, now we have a really uh, big team uh strong coaching team i think in in starbeck so i think uh with petter belsvik and and Janne being there from uh as being there for uh many years now altogether they they were managing the team when they won the gold 2008 and they're back now uh but i'm have a quite, quite a different background than what they have in in the squad uh, at the moment, because Jan and Petter being so experienced with uh, Petter with his great playing career in Norwegian football and also abroad, and Jan has been a, a coach for more than thirty years and winning gold medal in Norway and, and abroad as well. Uh, I think uh, me being thirty years younger than than Jan have uh, some other ideas. Uh, more than academic uh, background, I've been studying the game uh, in a different way the last last few years. Uh, have knowledge about uh, analysis, uh, technology using in in coaching as well, and and also some different kind of methodology. So I think yeah. I think we have a good team with different kind of coaches working together and for me it's it's fantastic to to have new people around me to, to learn new things and hopefully i can can give some new ideas uh, to to the coaching team and to starbeck as well so for the listeners who, who don't really know much about starbeck they uh, they are one of the the bigger clubs in the oslo region have a massive rivalry with volarenga also with lillestrom 
and uh, a very intriguing history actually they did win the gold medal in 2008 like you did say Jana Johnson was in charge um when they did that they also had bronze medal finishes in the last 10 years uh, but also been relegated for example so they're an up and down sort of side an in intriguing team we always you know they're one of them teams that we always get questions asked about Starbuck because um there's quite a lot of mystery surrounding them at times there's always a lot of inconsistency a lot of question marks and uh, yeah. one thing that always kind of goes back to this club is it always produces some great youth players some young players come through the system it's never changed um down the years i know you've only been at the club for two or three months but why do you think so many good young players have come out of starbeck down the years i think it's it's because of obviously they have probably the best academy in Norwegian football uh they recruit players at a really young age which is not so common in in norway uh, most uh, some clubs uh, recruit players at the age of 16 uh, and not before uh, but starbeck bring in good players at at the young age and i think i think that is uh, the right way to do it in in the environment of starbeck uh, they have 10 full-time coaches working in the academy all with the pride of developing players to the first team and not to win trophies and that is uh, an important culture at the club uh, and the club is really clear on the identity and and the mission for the club is to to bring young players into the team and to play them and to sell them on that is and and i think starbeck has been doing that in a very good manner uh in the last i don't know maybe eight or ten years so and that is also uh yeah that's also the reason for the inconsistency in the in the performance as well i think it, it's difficult to to build a team and to to perform at the top top level winning the league when you have to sell uh players a lot of players every year yeah. so but i think uh starbeck uh we bring young players in the first team uh, at a young age and, and, and we're playing them as well. We're giving them enough playing time to sell them on. And there's not too many clubs in Norway doing that. And that is, I think, the, the reason why they make so much money in, in selling young players abroad. Yeah, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a great, always a great young talent there in, in Starbeck. And now, sort of, you just mentioned there, it's, it's great for you to be joining the this experienced coaching team at Starbeck as one of the assistants. And what can you sort of uh, add to the table there with them? I mean, what are your sort of personal footballing philosophies and things like that, your ideas? Are, you know, are you this sort of modern thinking uh, young coach? Um, yeah. But uh, what sort of uh, philosophies do you have in football yourself? It's, it's, I think it's difficult to talk about philosophy because philosophy is so a massive word. Uh, but I think in, in me being a coach, it's, it's a lot about uh, building a team, building a, a great culture. Uh, because I think you have to, you need a good culture to develop players and to develop good teams. You need, players coming every day and uh, to train well and to be prepared and do whatever they need to do to uh, to to develop uh, and for me it's is to create that culture is is the 
is the main thing uh, for me. Uh, and to have a good relationship with the players, but also high demands. Uh, so that is my, I'll say, that is my main coaching style. Uh, I like to to talk a lot with the players uh, and be be calm and have a good relationship. But when you're on the field, training session, uh, create high high demands uh, for players all the time. Um, but when it comes to tactics and ideas, um, for me, it's about creating superiority, uh, most likely in the center of the field. Uh, for for Grore, we're playing most of the time 4-4-2. That is the main uh, formation. Uh, but we don't talk too much about formation in, in attack. It's about putting the the right players in the right space for us to to get the players in their best position using their best attributes but also to exploit the opponent's weakness so obviously we want to have the superiority in the center of the field with a false nine uh, inside winger if we can but we can also move the superiority on the right and on the left, if that is what the game needs. Uh, so me doing a lot of analysis uh, over the last few years, uh, always looking for, for where can we find a weakness in the opponent we're meeting, and then showing a lot of video to the players, working on the, on the field, talking to players, and then changing inside our playing style to get our best players in the best position, but also to to exploit weakness in, in the opposition. So if we can, obviously we try to dominate the game, we try to play out from behind, uh, good angles, uh, but we can also, and I, I like to change the tactics, sometimes to, to surprise the opponent, but also to, because that is, what we should do to win the game. Sometimes we can lay, stay low with a team in a low block and counterattack because the team is really weak on counterattacks. And then I change a lot of players in the starting 11. Uh, but the next game, we can totally dominate the game, a lot of possession, and then we need different kind of players. And that is how I like to, to play the game as a coach, to see the game the game strategy. What do you do you need to do this time to win the game and to, to sell on that message to the players and creating players who is clever enough to understand that strategy and build a team over time, build a group of players. You need different kind of players to use different strategies. Uh, and then you have to be really clear on uh, the video meetings and uh, on the session before the game and in the halftime to make him understand when we change things and, and how we're going to play this game. That is uh, what I fancy the most about the tactics in, in football. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. I must say there, Eric, uh, listening to that, it really is. It sounds like adaptability is a really big part of football managing these days and coaching and um 
Do you have any um, objectives to the season? Do you want to sort of finish yeah. I don't know, in the top half, or is this you know what do you want to get out of this season at Starbeck as a club? Do you think? I think I don't think that part is clear enough in Starbeck. Uh, not for me anyway. Uh, I know I know that that the club and and the board and the fans want a higher want to finish higher in, in the in the leagues. We finished eighth last season. Uh, and I think in, in the sports plan, it says top six this season. So obviously, uh, we always want to climb on the table. We want to become a top six. But how important is that compared to playing a young player and, and selling young players? That is, uh, I'm not too sure about that. What is the main thing? Uh, but if I have to say anything, I say, yeah, we want we want to to finish higher in the league than we did last season. Last season we finished eight, so maybe a top six finishing then. Yeah, that'd be that'd be very good for Starbeck. And as you mentioned, these young players, and it seems like there's a lot of care at Starbeck, a lot of pride about when these young players, you know, even leave the club and move to bigger clubs in the future. And mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the Norwegian national team now because we're we're sort of approaching, or and we're already in this so-called golden generation of, of Norwegian national team talent and uh, the next sort of 10 years or so, I think there's quite a lot of expectations from, I mean, not just within Norway, but around the world that uh, a lot of star players are going to do well. I know you have some experience uh, sort of in the back room there with, with the Norwegian national team. I mean, first of all, how excited are you about the talent that's sort of now at Norwegian national team first level? Obviously, it's, it's, I'm really glad to see that there are coming up some really good young players and uh and for me, I've been I've been working in something called uh, the Norwegian uh, top football uh, for six years b- before moving to Starbeck, uh, uh, where the job was about developing the Norwegian top clubs uh, and the academies, uh, and to to see the the things really is good things happening in the academies. I mean, over the last only five six years uh i think the, the the clubs is improving the academies a lot a lot in innovation football and and i know it's been it's been a good work in innovation football for the last 10 15 years and, and now you can see that some players uh it's becoming really good because obviously you got erling boy Holland, who is now actually one of the best strikers in the world uh and it's only 21 years old this season. And obviously Martin Odegaard is a, is a good player as well. He's been a good talent for, for many, many years. And, and you have other players as well coming up. So that is really exciting. And it gives motivation to to, to stay in Norwegian football and, and develop the, the next good players. And when you see that young players uh, like Holland, is becoming one of the best players in the world. You think it's it's really impossible. Uh, so hopefully the Norwegian national team can win some games and coming into to the to the World Cup or the European Championship because we need that as well. It's really important for development of the of the young players in the national team. It's really important for the young kids in Norway watching them on telly. And it's also really important to, to bring in money to the to the federation to develop even better players in the future. So 
hopefully some some of the Norwegian clubs can come into Champions League over the next few years uh, or or even Europe League and we need a national team also to to win some more games and and playing a, a championship soon. Yeah, it's been quite a lot a number of years since Norway last qualified for a World Cup or a European yes. Championship and I think um there was quite a lot of expectation that they would at least give themselves a good chance of qualifying for the World Cup in Qatar. Certainly the next European Championship after that I think would that would be the minimum objective to qualify for it. But I mean, I was watching the Norway-Turkey game just last week, and mm-hmm. um, I, I'll be honest, I was just shocked, really, how it just Turkey dominated, really. And um, I know Turkey are probably better than a lot of people give them credit for as well, in fairness. But, I mean, Stala Solbakken's taken over as manager of Norway now. If, you know, how, how do you think he can get the best out of Erling Brat Haaland and Martin Odegaard, for example? Oh, it's not it's not really easy to say, really. Uh it's it's difficult because you have some really good players but they also need good players around them i think it's unfair to say that martin Erdogan, yeah he, he didn't play well at all uh in the three games he played this uh, in this window but but he also need good players around him to put him in the best situations uh, and the same with holland as well he can't do everything on his own uh i think if if the team the team should have more superstars and more more better players uh, especially in defense to to really win the group and, and move into to the world cup so but i think maybe maybe Stoller played a bit too much possession uh, maybe a bit too romantic against turkey and you can see them killing us on on the counter attack and every time they had a chance <laughs> To score a goal, they did, uh, but also I think Stoller was Norway was a bit unlucky against Turkey because they had a few chances as well, and and Turkey was really effective in Norway wasn't, uh, and you can see Stoller changing his playing style a bit uh, in the next game, winning uh, I think one 0 away to Montenegro is a good result, uh, and it could give a bit of hope, but I think you have to defend a lot of a lot better than it did against Turkey uh, to even get a chance to to go into the World Cup. Uh, and it's not only about the players, of course. Yeah, the players are not good enough, I think, in in the defense, but it's also about giving Stoll enough time to to build a structure because I've seen him for uh, FC Copenhagen and his 4-4-2 zonal defense is really good. Uh, I know he... He knows what he's doing, but he needs a bit more time, I think, with the team. And I don't think this championship, I don't think we're ready this time. But maybe the European Championship, we have a chance to, to do well, hopefully. How, how excited do you think Norway as a nation is about having Erling Brat Haaland? <laughs> I mean, he could be in two or three years' time. If not already, he could be the best player in the world. And where do you think, is there a general public opinion where he should which league should he move to next should he move to the premier league or should he move to la liga i think maybe the, the, the norwegian people and Norwegian press is a bit too excited about having both <laughs> holland and and Erdogan putting too much pressure on them and making them even better than they are i think it's maybe because of the lack of superstars in norwegian football but hopefully it will be more in the future uh and 
I think most of the people in Norway want to see Bert Holland going to Premier League because we all love the English football in, in Norway. And, uh, and I think a lot of people over the age of 40 want to see him in Liverpool and maybe uh, under the age of 40 want to see him in Man United. Uh, but for me, uh, I, I don't really care. I, I want to see him uh, uh, play in the Champions League, play winning trophies, playing for the best teams in the world. And that could be Real Madrid, that could be maybe Barcelona, but I see him more in, in Real Madrid. Uh, and and it would be great to see Bavitolan in, in the English Premier, Premier League as well. So for me, I don't care. And, uh, and I think every Norwegian guy wants him to play for their favourite team. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a fantastic player and it's so great that we get to discuss about someone that's actually Norwegian like that. But going back to you, just before we finish off, um, I mean, you're only 28, 28 years old now. I actually feel old myself. I'm 33. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're the you're the first manager of some sort that I've actually interviewed who's younger than me. I feel old. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, ambitions for the future. Then, I mean, where do you see yourself say, in five years' time? Do you think? You know, obviously, I'm sure you've got ambitions to manage in say the elite area in yourself. Yeah, in in it's really really difficult to say uh, where I'm going to be in five years' time uh, because. Uh, three years ago, before taking go, and and never could I imagine we can promote to to Oberliga and and me being in Starbeck. Uh But obviously, I, I want to be a, a head coach in Elite Serien uh, over the next five years, and then maybe if I'm doing a good job and 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 a bit lucky, uh, I can coach a team abroad over the next next years. But I don't think. Maybe five years is is uh, too soon, but you never know what's going to happen in football. That's that's for sure. Uh, I have learned that as a player and uh, and as a uh, as a coach as well. Uh, I didn't plan on moving to to Starbeck. Uh, in, in January, I bought a house on the other side of Oslo, and in February, I, I signed for Starbeck, and that is that is how it is in in. In football, you never know what's going to happen uh, the next week. Actually, uh, so I'm really glad to to be at Starbeck and and I'm in the, in the right place. So I'm in a club where I can I can learn a lot about how to develop and, and sell young players, which is I think uh, should be the the main focus in Norwegian football. Uh, so yeah, hopefully I can have a few uh, or a lot of good years in in Starbeck. That's that's what I want. Yeah, and we, we wish you the very best at Starbeck and the club uh, the very best. And we, once again, thank you very much for joining us on the Nordic Football Podcast. Yeah, I must say, I've really enjoyed this talk um, with you, Eric. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, well, thanks very much. Uh, take care. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll uh, we'll chat again uh, one day when you're head coach of, uh, I don't know, yeah. or somewhere. <laughs> Hopefully we will, Steve. Just, just give me a call. Thank you very much. That was Eirik Schoener on the Nordic Football Podcast. Once again, many thanks to him for joining the show. And that is it for this particular episode. Uh, thanks very much indeed for listening. Um, remember, you can catch us on Twitter at Nordic Footpod. You can catch myself, uh, Steve Wiss at Meatman Soccer, and uh, my co host, Jonathan Fadugba at JF Football. You can also catch our guest, Arik Schoner, on Twitter. 
at EKJONO. That is the account to follow there. Uh, but yeah, that's it for this for this episode. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back next week to discuss some more about the uh, Nordic football regions. And uh, as we get very close to the start of the Norwegian campaign, there'll be more Norwegian talk. And the um, someone actually did ask a question about the Norwegian season preview. That will certainly be coming out in time for the Elite Serien in a few weeks' time. But uh, yeah, until next time, stay safe, take care, and I'll see you around. Goodbye.